Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Matt Harmon and I'm so happy to be joined by Scott Pinowski today. Scott, number one, you look fantastic. Uh, I've told you this recently. You look great. Uh, You're living your best life. We love to see that. But uh, kind of a dead time here in the NFL calendar, Scott. We don't have a ton of stuff on the agenda. But do you have any big 4th of July plans coming up? And do any of them involve crushing the uh, PBR 1,776 pack of cans that PBR is uh, is pushing out, apparently. What a what an electric uh, <laughs> advertising campaign that is. Wow, what a great intro. Thanks thanks for the kind words. Uh, you know, just trying to, to match the lifestyle changes that you made a few years ago. So, you know, trying to live my best life. I have a, a golf trip of a lifetime that's kicking off on July 4th. I'll be Ooh. off the grid as much as I can be, although, you know, still drafting the Scott Fishbowl and stuff like that. But uh, we're playing some unbelievable courses, uh, Larry, Steve, Don, and myself uh, in the UP, Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So that's that's my, um, I've been looking forward to this. It's supposed to be a 2020 trip. I think everybody knows what happened to that. <laughs> so it's been a two years in the making, and I want to be in the best shape of my life, or the best shape of my adult life, make some birdies. Uh, you a golfer, Matt? Oh, man. I mean, I have you, you can already tell by the way I started that uh, answer yeah. that no, the answer the, is the no. body language told me all I needed to know. Listen, I, I love the idea of golf because I'm basically in on any event where it's socially acceptable to spend all day in the sun and all day um, hanging out with your friends and potentially smashing a couple brews. I'm all in on that. But I also don't love the idea of being extremely frustrated for like four to five hours at a time, which uh, has always been kind of a hang up with golf. My mom is a, like a fabulous golfer, great at it. She gave me a great set of clubs and I believe they've been sitting down in our garage. They've moved with me through several apartments and now have been sitting in our garage unused for quite some time. Just not my thing. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's a game that is made to frustrate you and, and you get better at it when you accept that you're never going to be any good at it, which is kind of what I've done. I, you know, I was, I was better when I was a kid, but as I've gotten older, I've gotten more, I don't know, I just, my expectations have gone down. I, I I've actually played pretty well the last year. Or so I put, put a lot of work into it. I know nobody cares about this. As far as adult drinking games go, I always look at bowling as like the greatest adult drinking game, right? Because oh yeah, yeah having a couple of brews, I don't think I ever made anybody a worse bowler or a worse pool player or a worse darts player or whatever it is. And uh, I'm sure there, this isn't a drinking trip per se, but I'm, let's just say there's going to be a couple of adult beverages consumed as well. But Hey, nobody came here for my golf stories. Nobody came here for our drinking stories. They came to talk fantasy football, or you know, maybe they came to talk about the new trade hub, Matt. Uh, I'm pretty excited about some of these things that they've added over at Yahoo Sports. Yeah, it's awesome. We have a new trade hub, as Scott mentioned. Uh, it's never been easier to propose and grade trades. I know that's like a huge thing. You know, Scott, I started a Discord channel this offseason, and like there's a whole section or, you know, a server, and then there's a whole channel for like trade talk and that's just what people are buzzing about at all times of the calendar. So people are totally going to want to check this out. It's awesome. I don't know. Just real quick, since we you know we don't have a ton of news to break down here or anything like that, let's just talk trading real quick because I have to say this. And, you know, again, I go back and forth with people that, that follow me on Twitter or are in the Discord all the time about trades. And, you know, what do I think about this trade? Would I give this or that or whatever? And I always tell people, like, for me – You know, I think it's important to know your strengths and weaknesses as a fantasy manager. I know for me, trading is like absolutely my worst 
thing. I'm a horrible trader. It's not even just that I make bad trades. It's that I'm afraid to trade. And also like, I mean, you know me, Scott, you know, I like the guys that I like and like I, I'm very hyper fixated on these players. And it's like, yeah, you know, in my dynasty league, I didn't bust my ass to get Allen Robinson on this team just to trade him away. You know, like I didn't I didn't uh, get uh, ahead of the market on like Terry McLaurin or Stefan Diggs just to trade them at the right value. I get fixated on my guys and I have a tough time moving them. So what type of trader are you? I assume that you're much, much better at it than I am. You know, when I first got into fantasy and fantasy baseball was the first thing that I did. Second shout out to Larry Holton, this podcast who runs the baseball league that we've been playing in for like 30 years. I, I used to take the sheets you know, to lunch with me and study them and look for where people were strong, you know, where I matched up with somebody. I'm weak in this area. Somebody's strong in that area. What do I have that they need? Blah, blah, blah. I used to really study it. And I, I used to always lead the league in how most trades made. And I used to be really good at it. And as I got deeper into fantasy, I started to become more impetuous of a trader, more frustrated of a trader. Lowball offers would kind of annoy me and stuff. <laughs> and to the point that this baseball league I'm talking about, I have a co-manager in that league, my friend Scott Gleason. He's a lawyer. He loves to negotiate. He loves a 27 email thread. Oh my so God. he's our trader. <laughs> he's the guy who does all that. I'm the player evaluation guy, and he's the trader. But as far as fantasy football goes, I think – a mistake a lot a lot of people make. I don't blame you. Look, if you if you believe in Allen Robinson, which I do too, uh, we could do 50 minutes on Terry McLaurin, no problem. Yeah, I'm not saying if you you want to go down with your guys or you ride them the whole season. I'm not saying anybody shouldn't do that because you have to. You should get behind players you believe in or players that you like and all that. That should be part of this. It's supposed to be fun, right? But I think if people are afraid to make a mistake, if that's something like, oh, I, I can't cut this guy, even though I want to make this pick up because, you know, whatever I felt about him five weeks ago, whatever. You can't play afraid to make a change. And I'll just throw this out there. We talked about this a little bit before the show started. You can't be afraid to make a bad trade. I made, I think, unequivocally the worst trade in fantasy expert, quote unquote, expert league history. The Mark Stopa League, big money league. Went on for seven or eight years, eventually morphed into whatever Brad Evans calls his big money league now. But Second or third year of that league, it's 2014. The Patriots, my New England Patriots, go down to Kansas City and get the absolute snot kicked out of them. <laughs> uh, Tom Brady was actually taken out for his own safety, I think. He didn't even finish that game. No. And after the game, they asked Bill Belichick all these questions, and all he says, we're getting ready for Cincinnati. We won't even talk about it. The Patriots got demolished, and there is a lot of shoveling dirt on this team. And I, I had Brady in this league. It's a super flex league. And I thought, you know what? I'm not afraid to sell low. I think I want out of the Brady business. And I made it very clear to my league that this Brady's price to, to move. And I feel a lot of people just didn't want to touch him. Most mm -hmm. of the league didn't want to touch him or didn't need a quarterback, whatever. Some people sent me joke offers, their backup tight end, their their defense, whatever. You know, those those went right in the trash. The best offer I thought I fielded was Mike Glennon at the time. <laughs> uh Kind of emerging, spreading his wings. I think he was in the Buccaneers at that Bucks, time. Bucks, yep, but, uh, yep, yep. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I'd seen too many NC State games, I, Matt. I don't know what the problem was. So I just said, you know what? I'm, I have the nads, I have the cojones to make this deal. I don't care. I, I'm afraid the Patriots could be in trouble. Traded Brady for Glennon. It's safe to say I lost that trade. Oh um, well, you know. gets, every once in a while it gets brought up by some of the people who are in that league. But here's the thing with the Stopa League, man. I'll say this, and I don't. I'm not a big victory lap guy, but I. Believe I lost in the finals that year. I made the Stopa League playoffs every year they've had that league. And then they morphed into that Evans League. I've been in the playoffs every year. I've won those leagues like maybe three times. So, I mean, the resume is there. I'm not afraid to make a mistake. If anybody has a worse trade than, than Tom Brady for Mike Glennon, I'd like to hear it. <laughs> but you know what? I rebounded. I, you know, I basically did the Belichick. We're on the Cincinnati. You know, I, I, I overcame it, even though I don't think anybody can offer me it can offer a historical trade that's worse than that one. Yeah, uh, definitely. I feel I love your mindset about just like, listen, you know, it's one it's one part of the equation, just like you can't lose your league at the draft, right? You can't win your league at the draft. You can't lose your league because of one bad trade. You can go a long way towards winning your league when you uh, make that big trade or you make that big waiver pickup. But again, luckily now. Uh, I think, Scott, if you had the trade hub, access to the trade hub at Yahoo Fantasy Plus, I believe, listen, I mean, I haven't seen the nuts and bolts and uh, every bit of the algorithm that's going to go into this bad boy. But I'm thinking if today you went in there and typed in, you know, should I trade Tom Brady for Mike Glennon? I, I have a feeling they might be able to help you out. Where the, where yeah, the hell is where the hell is Glennon playing now? 
He's not still. He's not in Jacksonville anymore. Was he in Oakland? I, he's backing up for somebody, um, and I think his neck gets a little bit longer every year. And, and just also, just keep in mind. I mean, it just it just underscores how contextual. You talk about earlier when people ask you about trades. It's always about context, right? It's yeah. always about what your roster looks like and what your league, what the habits of your league is like, are like, and what's on the waiver wire. What's freely available to you? Is it a trading league? Is it a heavy pickup league? Do you have a cap on pickups? All that type of stuff. And that goes for football players, too. I mean, never forget yeah. that Randy Moss was just a guy in the Raiders. And then he went to the Patriots and he demolished. And and every year we see running backs who we don't think are maybe exceptionally talented, but they land in the right offense and they, they get a high snap share and they become really good players. I'm not sure if James Robinson is a really special football player, but he's a really good fantasy player last year because he never came off the field. And interesting to see what happens with him this year with a new coaching staff. So it's all contextual. It's contextual in fantasy. It's contextual in the NFL. And, you know, the context is always changing. We're chasing, I always say we're chasing a butterfly. And just when you think you have your net in the right place, the butterfly dips, it, it darts, it, it, it lifts up, it knows that you're trying to chase it. So you make the best decisions you can. And if you screw something up, which I obviously did in this example, whatever, you know, you just brush it off. And I'm, I'm man enough to admit it, you know. I mean, again, I, I think I have my, end of the year, my PayPal had money in it. So that's all. That's I mean. all that matters. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. By the way, Mike Glennon is currently backing up Daniel Jones for the New York Giants. I feel like Glennon is the perfect non-threatening backup, you know, for a guy like Daniel Jones who has some question marks going into this year. It's like, yeah, who do we need as a backup? You know, Mike Glennon, he won't puke all over himself if he gets out there, but nobody, absolutely nobody, no matter how many times Daniel Jones fumbles the ball, is like, we got to get Glennon in there. You know, we got to get you're Glennon. You're saying so. wrong answer, Matt. No, you're saying I'm hearing, I think Jason Garrett is, is the offensive coordinator to bring out the Pro Bowl level <laughs> Mike Glennon. That, that's what I'm hearing here. I've got to read between the lines a little bit. Yeah, good, well, good skill talent, it, New York. It's a tough scene, you know. After John Gruden couldn't bring the best out of Glennon, uh, yeah, he, he, I don't know. I, I got my, uh, I got some pessimistic feelings about it. Anyways, that's enough of Mike Glennon talk. Anyways, you got to check out the uh, Trade Hub over at Fantasy Plus. It's going to help you a lot more than Scott or I can, you know, going back and forth on trades because it does provide a lot more of that context part of it, grading everything like that. Let's move on to uh, talk about just you know some. I think these three offenses are really interesting. The ones we're going to talk about today, they're from my most stackable team series. The way I've been doing this, Scott, we talked about it a little bit on the podcast here and there, but the way that I've organize these teams as I've been grouping them. You know, I love to group things. I love to tier things. I love to do all that. Just, just not rank them. Not rank them. Won't rank them. But I will put them into value assigned tiers or groups. But I'm not going to rank them. That's extra. You know, that's a that's a that's an additional tax. I can't wait there. to see I can't wait to see your wedding planner. It's going to be like you could have like tiers of people at different tables, you know. It's like okay, this is a this is or maybe you'll have like a reservoir dogs table and a pulp fiction table or something, but Well, Scott, anyway. I'll say uh, that's why I, I I pay someone to be my wedding planner. <laughs> So I don't have to get involved in that. Uh, that's why we have pl- paid somebody to do that. Definitely. They, like making the wedding list or wedding guest list. There is like there are tiers, you know, there because and every tier it's like, OK, what's the what's the price point we're at? But listen, no, definitely no one came here to talk about wedding planning, but I could do, you know, an hour long podcast and all the um Fun and interesting details about planning a wedding, but uh, we'll save that one for another time. The stackable series that I've been doing right now, I've been grouping these into three, which is high value stack, discount stack, and clearance aisle stack. And we're going to talk about one from each group today. Let's start high value. Scott, I stacked the Seahawks on so many best ball teams last year. And for about maybe 60% of the season, I thought I was so smart. You know, Russ was having a great year. DK was like a top three receiver. Tyler Lockett had some monster games. But towards the end of the year, those teams didn't do so hot. Uh, My PayPal account was not filled with money because of my Seahawks stacks. Let's put it that way. Like Lockett gets a ton of heat for being an inconsistent producer last year. Everybody knows that. That's why, despite the fact he was like a top 12 finisher, he's not even he's barely a top 20 wide out taken right now. But the entire offense slowed down, man. You know, Russ finished the season with a whimper like nobody really talks about it. But DK finished the year with just 25 catches for 264 yards and one touchdown in December. The entire offense. And I think a lot of it comes back to Russ got stuck in the mud last year. But despite all that, Scott, I want to stack this team up again this year. I want to run that thing back. 
am I stupid? Or am I am I take locked here? Or how do you feel about these th- this trio specifically to start? And we could talk about guys like Gerald Everett and all the rest uh, as we go. I like it. First year post Schottenheimer, which I think we've all been eager to to get to that. And it's a narrow tree, right? They don't have. I mean, Gerald Everett's not a bad player, but it's not like they have a, a Kelsey or a Mark Andrews or George Kittle a tight end. They don't. I don't see a, a running back who's going to catch a ton of passes here. So you would think that the the targets, the volume is very safe for Metcalf and Lockett. And the presence of each of them means that it's going to be hard for a team to come in and say, okay, we have to make sure that Lockett doesn't beat us or Metcalf doesn't beat us because the other guy is so good. Yeah. And you know, Wilson's still in his early 30s. I, I know last year the narrative was, oh, oh my God, Russ Wilson's never had an MVP vote. And then halfway through the season, people were just waiting to scribble his name down. And then, as you said, that this offense unplugged and crash landed in the second half of the year. But still a believer in Wilson, excited for a change in direction. And again, I love the narrow trees. I love it. Whenever, anytime you can get an offense that you believe in, not that I don't think anybody thinks it's going to be a top three or top five offense. At least I don't. But it's going to be a plus offense. It's going to be a better than average offense. And the tree is so narrow. There's just not that many guys. Unless I'm dramatically underrating somebody and you're the receiver guru, maybe there's a sleeper receiver here that I haven't given enough credence to. But I see a quarterback I trust. I see an offense moving in a new direction. And I see two alpha receivers who both have top 10 finishes in their reasonable range of outcomes. Absolutely. I would love to have Russell Wilson paired with one of these wideouts. Yeah, I think actually Everett, if you're stacking for best ball, does really make this interesting because his ADP is just so low, despite the fact that, you know, there is the prevailing wisdom that tight ends get better on their second contracts, that they do get more comfortable in the league. This guy is not even being drafted in the top 80 or 150 picks right now. You know, he's not even like a top 20 tight end in ADP right now. People are not that excited about Gerald Everett, but I think, you know, if you're able to hit the main guys early, and then you run that thing back with Everett, it insulates you from a best ball perspective. It insulates you on the weeks where Gerald Everett, I don't think he's going to suddenly become a top five tight end, but it keeps you protected from the weeks where he's going to pop into the end zone for a couple of times, or he's going to have that big game and, you know, Lockett or Metcalf suffers as a result for that one week. That's what part of what makes the stack so interesting. And on the offensive coordinator perspective, you know, there's always kind of this push pull, and it seems like this year it was this offseason particularly it was at its highest point, like the debate between what Pete Carroll wants to do from a philosophical perspective. Like Pete Carroll's an old school coach, right? We know that we know he wants to run the ball and he's he's like the oldest coach in the NFL and has really kind of an oversized influence on that uh, organization in general because they don't have like a, a really they don't have an owner right now. You know, they, they don't have like a traditional ownership structure. So Pete has an, an outsized influence over there. So he kind of gets to call a lot of the shots. There's that push pull between what he wants to do and what Russ wants to be as like a, he's clearly made it plain that he wants to be considered a top five quarterback all time. He wants to have the numbers to back up that case. Um, you would think though, that a Rams style offense, which obviously we expect Shane Waldron to bring over, that style of attack from the LA Rams uh, as their passing game coordinator now to Seattle. You would think that a Rams style offense that always is one of the most efficient teams running the ball, even now that Todd Gurley's gone, you know, Cam Akers was great last year. Daryl Anderson had his moments. They were a great rushing team that can satisfy what Pete Carroll wants. But we, we, I, I was saying last year, like, man, Russ is just so kind of hit or miss this year and the the receivers are hit or miss as a result because they're just always trying to hit you know triples and home runs there's a baseball analogy scott didn't expect me to to hit that one triples and and home runs but like you know the fact that jared goff throughout his course of the rams uh his tenure there always got layups layups on layups on layups i think that could be great for russ i think the offense is actually kind of the perfect marriage for both of what these guys want I could see all that. I could co-sign all that. And also, I, I think the division, now granted, there's only six divisional games, but I think every team in this division can score. I This actually, yeah. if you told me I could only watch one division in football this year, this is the division I'd pick. I think every team is fascinating. Every team potentially has a star quarterback. And they, there's a lot of offensive minds. I, I'm always curious what McVay's up to. I'm always curious what Shanahan's up to. I'm, I'm always ready to tweet about how much Kingsbury drives me crazy. But he's still a smart guy. Maybe he can learn from some of his, his game theory mistakes. He's certainly an interesting play designer. And they've run a lot of sets that other teams don't. And now, like, finally, we have a new voice in Seattle. We think. You make a great point. I mean, Carroll's a made man. Carroll casts maybe as long of a shadow. Other than Belichick, he may have yeah. the longest sh- coaching shadow in the league right now. So we have to consider him part of the input on this offense. And if he wants to play 
a style that maybe you, you might have think may have aged out of the league. I mean, you know, we have to consider that. And, you know, maybe there isn't a season where Russ Wilson is among the top five or top six in pass attempts, which is on the thing with, we've always seen with Wilson. And this came into play with Lockett a few years ago. It's always been with Russ. You're not going to get the volume, but the efficiency is going to be so good. Hopefully that makes up for it. And of course, when you're efficient, you hurt your own volume because you don't, you know, you're not going to throw the ball 58 times. If you're, you remember that year Lockett had the perfect quarterback rating on his targets, but what, what were they like 80 targets or 75 targets or something like that? So that's a trade off you have to make a lot of times with Seattle. But again, I, the bottom line is if you can ask me, am I a green light, a red light, or a yellow light on Seattle? There's still a green light offense for me. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Do you put any stock in the fact, and you know, this is a bit of like a personal, like a, a bias, like question, a leading question on my own part, but do you put any stock in the fact that like people are really out on Tyler Lockett, it seems like right now, because he was so like dramatic highs, dramatic lows. Do you put any stock into that in projecting him next year? Because there were some injuries last year, I think, that weren't super reported, but I don't really care. Like if if most of these guys receive this, like there's no way that Lockett's going to see less volume this year, right? He wasn't used in a way that should be inconsistent. I think just the offense overall was inconsistent. Do you put any stock in like projecting that? As long as he sees the same volume, I feel like he, just, he could easily swing on the positive side of variance this year and it wouldn't be a big deal. Yeah, I'm not I'm not concerned about it. the thing is with receivers. Receiver is the variance position. It isn't like running back where if you want your running back to have 15 to 20 touches a week, it's very easy to make sure he gets those. You can snap the ball and hand it to him. <laughs> and then as we've seen, you know, there are there are probably more jet sweeps and more receivers running the ball now than any time in history, but still, whatever. I mean, Robert Woods might lead the league in rushing yardage from a receiver, and it might be 140 yards or something like that. But so when people call somebody a boom bust receiver, I kind of laugh and roll my eyes a little bit because I think you could say that about almost everybody at the position. There are very few players who we know every week. Oh, yeah, he's getting seven for 81 no matter what. I mean, those are like the guys who are gone within the first 20 picks. Yeah. And right. then everybody else, <laughs> everybody else is, you have to, and even like a Tyreek Hill, he's going to have a game once in a while where he has 23 yards. You know, I mean, it just happens. So to me, that's just more of a comment about the position. And I don't think it's predictive to look back and say, oh, well, this guy had a lot of peaks and valleys last year. So maybe I, I, I guess in theory, maybe that you think of like the slot receivers, the Jarvis Landry types, maybe those guys have less variance. Of course, you know, Jarvis Landry doesn't have anywhere near the upside of a Tyler right, Lockett right. and another draft in different pockets. But I think we're kidding ourselves when we think, oh, these two receivers are around the same ADP, but this is the consistent guy and this is the boomer bust guy. I, I would not go down that avenue. I think it's just a dead end. Yeah, maybe if one of them has like an eight average depth of target and the other one has a 20 you might be able to, but then you're going to miss out on those massive games, as you mentioned. So my two takeaways from what Scott just said, and again, they confirm my personal biases. Consistency, overrated. Stop talking about it. And two, what happened last year doesn't just paste right over to next year, which is like 95% of really bad fantasy analysis that you're going to get, you know, in like the month of August or whatever. So Scott, as always, giving us the goods. Let's move on to uh, the next team that I want to talk about here, the Jaguars. I feel like the Jaguars weirdly have been one of the most talked about teams in fantasy circles this offseason, which is probably not what you would expect in most years. But obviously, they're getting a shining bit of optimism in the form of a golden haired quarterback god as the number one overall pick in Trevor Lawrence. And of course, they also have all the weird Urban Meyer stuff. I don't know, Scott, there's so many ways we can take the whole Jaguars thing that I just kind of want to blank slate it. What's your read on this team overall, especially from like a stacking best ball perspective? Because everybody outside of like Travis Etienne, which oddly is the guy I kind of want the least of this crew. Everybody's kind of a nice value in this offense. Yeah, again, you know, I like the fact that there isn't a tight end who I see as being a major factor. So he's not going to get in the way, you know, whether it's it's O'Shaughnessy or somebody else. I, Shark, Jones, Chenault, I think. Chenault's the guy, guy. I'm, I'm really curious to see what you think of him because I saw that. I think we all saw the talent last year and it's not hard to blink and think this could be Percy Harvin. Urban Meyer back at Florida. You know, um, I mean, I guess maybe I'm dating myself. I, probably some people remember Percy Harvin that well. At one point, he was like one of the most exciting oh. players in the league, and they just ran everything in the playbook for him. They, they created a playbook for Percy Harvin. I think Chanel can be that type of player. I see no reason why Lawrence won't be fantasy functional right away. It, I, I think he has a chance to be good in the NFL right away, which we don't necessarily. I mean, we want we just want the points, right? I mean, sometimes right. a player can be a poor player, but be a good fantasy player. I think he's athletic enough. 
and proactive enough as a runner. I, I think eventually that, that part of his game may be phased out as he gets more experience. But I would think right now 500, 600 rushing yards is probably reasonable for him and a handful of touchdowns. And there's so much skill talent here. The, the thing I have the most difficulty handicapping is Urban Meyer. Uh, he, he has no experience that I know of uh, being an NFL coach, right? I mean, just it's all college. And I'm like, I mean, he did it at Bowling Green. He did it at Utah. He did it at Florida. He did it at Ohio State. At the last two stops, obviously, the talent conveyor belt was so good that it was, it was kind of hard to screw it up. And he was you know, wildly successful there. Talked a lot about a foundation of running the ball. I, I don't really know if we're going to look back in three years and be like, wow, the Jaguars, what a smart move getting Urban Meyer to come out of retirement. Or, oh, I guess Urban Meyer can go back to being a broadcaster for the rest of his life because you know, he's just basically ended his coaching career. I don't know what to make of Meyer. Uh, but I'm excited about Chenault. I'm excited about this offense. And, and remember also, they won one, one game last year, but by Pythagorean, they should have won three or four games. I mean, they were a bad team. I don't think they were like this generationally bad team, like this awful, oh my God, we'll never forget where we were when we watched the 2020 Jaguars. I mean, they were just a team that <laughs> yeah. was kind of lousy and probably should have been 3-13 and 13 or 4-12. and 12. I think they're they're certainly not a 1-15 and 15 team in my mind. I just have – I. I'm curious to see. I think you're probably going to be proactive about the Jaguars. I, I just don't know how to take the the Meyer thing. I, I'm just not sure if he's going to be successful or not. Yeah, you know, if like Daryl Bevel, who's their offensive coordinator, which I actually think Daryl Bevel is a um is 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 actually a pretty good offensive coordinator. I think he's a net positive for this team. I, I think he kind of gets a bad rap as an offensive coordinator, but like let's not forget that they really, you know, they they. They had that Lions offense with Matthew Stafford cooking before he got hurt in 2019. You know, they had a you Percy Harvin, as you mentioned, with those Vikings offenses. They had some good years too. Whatever. There's definitely some positive moments for Daryl Bevel. But like my point here is if Daryl Bevel was just their head coach and not Urban Meyer, I feel like they'd be a much easier team to read because I'm 100% with you. And that's not even saying like Daryl Bevel should be a head coach or something like that. I just mean like Urban Meyer is such a wild card. And we've already seen it from, you know, the Travis Etienne, Kadarius Tony thing in the draft, obviously bringing in Tim Tebow. By the way, Tim Tebow is making this team, folks, just mentally prepare yourself for that to happen. I believe it's going to happen. I don't know. I, I think. Urban Meyer is a really big wild card, but on some of the players that you mentioned, there was a lot of kind of weeping and gnashing of teeth when Travis Etienne was drafted and thrown in this slasher role, you know, when it comes to the stock of LaVisca Chenault and what he's going to do in this offense. But Scott, I actually think when I go back and watch LaVisca Chenault from last year, he looks like a guy to me that reminds me more um, of a player who should be kind of stuck in a big slot receiver role. And that's I think that's actually better for him than a, you know, pseudo gadget type of guy. The Percy Harvin role. You know, I think he's a player that could command 100 plus targets as a big interior receiver because, you know, he's not some great nuanced route runner or anything like that. But think of like a Juju Smith-Schuster or even like a DJ Moore type of talent when he first came into the league. Awesome after the catch, great in contested situations, throw him inside as your slot receiver on a really productive passing attack. And these guys can give you big numbers. Like even if Chenault is the 29 or 2020 version of Juju, that's a pretty big win for where he's going in drafts right now. Like, I don't know that he would be the peak version of Juju that we've seen just because I don't know that Jaguars are going to hit the ground running with Trevor Lawrence like that. But I kind of want to put him on that range in terms of player as opposed to more of the uh, I know Juju just doesn't have the same pizzazz as he as he used to as a fantasy player. But when I say that, I, I feel like people should be excited about hearing like, oh, Chenault can be that type of player as opposed to just kind of a he gets 40 carries and, you know, maybe 40 catches. I think you could put a big, big time numbers as an interior receiver. I can see that. And I think if that comes to pass, it certainly makes him more weekly viable because he'll be easier to project. It'll be a role that will be more stable. So I'd be excited to see that happen. You know, another thing we have to talk about with this team, whenever we see a coaching staff turnover and a quarterback change and all that, is you ask yourself, well, where are the alliances going to come? Who's going to get comfortable with who first? And it's like, well, well, Bevel and Marvin Jones already know each other. They were together in the Lions. And Lawrence and ETN obviously were college teammates, so they have a familiarity. And then, of, of course, Urban Meyer, you know, not only did they bring in Tebow, but they had to bring in Carlos Hyde because you know, they have the Ohio State connection. So there's already, not that I, I think Hyde is going to get in anybody's way here, but there's already a lot of, and I guess with every team, you can kind of do this if you want to. So, somebody played with somebody. Somebody went to 
high school, went to college, you know, whatever. Had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay, all those jokes. But yeah, I I think I I'm more pro, I'm more proactive about Jones just because Bevel has that familiarity, and I, I would think Lawrence and EDN being teammates, you know, um, just like you think of the Bengals with you know they they needed offensive linemen, but they took Jamar Chase, you know, he, he and Joe Burrow obviously have a rapport already. What are you doing with James Robinson? Uh, a guy who undrafted, again, never came off the field last year. That quarterback isn't going to play now. That coaching staff is gone. They've drafted a, a different style of running back. We know teams use multiple backs now pretty much in every city. But uh, are you, do you worry about James Robinson being left, left behind? Uh, his ADP seems to drop every time I look at it. Yeah. I actually recently looked at a magazine mock. I'm like, ugh. James Robinson's on my team. How did that happen? Um, I, I don't know. I'll just give you the floor on Robinson. How are you playing him? Yeah, he, I've taken him a couple times when he falls really late in best ball drafts because I think he'll have weeks. I know that's like kind of a cop out to say I'd rather have him in best ball than than to uh, than have him in redraft leagues or whatever. But I'm not opposed to taking him if you need that running back. Like if your running back core is secure when you're coming into the like James Robinson zone, I don't really think I'm going to bother because I just don't see the point but if you're a very receiver heavy team and you want to try to get the guy who's got at least going to be I don't know I think Carlos Hyde's going to be somewhat of a factor but I still think Robinson can just kind of be like he can earn this job and and can be the guy for them but I still think ETN's going to get carries I think he's going to get a lot of catches I I definitely don't want to spend the pick where uh, ETN is going I'm kind of okay with where Robinson goes he's not like a a direct target, but he's definitely somebody I'm, I'm kind of open to taking. I, I don't really know that I have like a strong, strong pull either way. Let me ask you this, Scott, because you, you kind of went ahead there and said, you're really intrigued by LaVisca Chenault. You really, you have an eye on Marvin Jones because number one, the guy is always underrated. He always outkicks his ADP. Probably will do it again this year because he's going way behind the other two in early best ball drafts. Does that mean you're kind of out on DJ Chark where he's going? Because he's kind of a fringe top 30 receiver. If you're so intrigued by the other two, does that mean you're kind of backing away from Chark where he's going at this point? Coming off, I think a legit not good season, mostly because of injuries. His 2019 film was really promising and all that but i just you know a lot of injuries last year new coaching staff they already kind of issued him a public challenge i don't know where are you at with chark because I, I really don't know where i stand either yeah it's a great question and, and you're right i mean chark was very bad last year and, and meyer didn't sugarcoat it he said hey we need this guy he played really small last year we need him to be better than that and this will you talk true about by the, the way true by the way like it's one of those things where you know a lot of when he was said publicly it was like oh my gosh how could he how could he say that? You know, but it was like, man, you go back and watch. Not wrong. Like, he's not wrong. I don't know that I would have said it publicly. I don't know. That's how I if I well, I don't manage anybody because nobody should ever be managed by me. But like if I was a manager, I don't know that that's how I'm going to publicly motivate people. But not wrong. Yes. Yeah, one of my rules of thumb with trying to decipher the the quotes that we get uh, and there's such so much BS. And you have to have a good BS detector is that. You have to be judicious about what positive quotes you believe in. But when a coach does something negative, it's almost always how he Not feels. Like, yeah, I, I yeah, don't yeah. think a coach would would slam a player or would issue a challenge to a player if it wasn't really born out of those true feelings and, and just speaking frankly. So if nothing else, I believe that when Meyer said that, I mean, that there was born. That's, that's just how we felt. And we can take it at face value. This will sound like a cop out. You use the, the best ball cop out earlier. I think about the Bengals wide receiver group where I'm fine with any of them at ADP. I, I'm not going to draft multiple Bengal receivers on a, a similar roster, but I'd be fine really with any of them. It just might be the flow of the draft. That's how I feel with the Jaguars. I, I get a feel that we're going to get a lot closer to 2019 Shark than we we do the, the Shark sandwich we saw last year. So I would be open to drafting him. And if I didn't, for whatever reason, if it just didn't make sense at the time or somebody undercut me, I'd be open to Jones or Chenault too. I think this is going to be a team that's going to play, I would expect, probably at a fast pace. The defense isn't going to be good. And I know that can be sometimes a, a false thing to follow. Just because a team has a lousy defense doesn't mean their fantasy offense is necessarily great. There are plenty of teams that just stink on both sides of the ball. But I think this could be a carnival, the Jaguars, in part because I really do believe Lawrence is going to be good right away. And and so um, I'm willing to take any of these receivers right now at their current ADP. I wouldn't say I'm jumping up and down. Like if we were co-managing a team, I wouldn't say, hey, we, we got to have one of these guys. But I'd be open to drafting any of them. 
well, if we were co-managing a team, I feel like we'd be in lockstep because that's about how I feel, right? Like, I think all of these guys are appropriately slotted in the ADP right now. I don't think one is like a screaming value. Although, again, I'm quite confident that Marvin Jones plays, you know, 17 games or whatever. He's going to outkick his ADP because just kind of too low. But um, yeah, I'm I'm in on any of these guys because I want to be kind of aggressive on being excited about this Jaguars offense. Let's wrap it up with the guy who was taken after Trevor Lawrence, the number two overall pick, the New York Jets, Zach Wilson. Scott, I'm excited about the Jets offense. I'm just going to say it. I'm excited. I love their receiver room. I love what they've done over the last couple of years. You know, this is one of the units that like there was not a case to stack Sam Darnold and I don't know, whoever was his outside receivers last year. It wasn't it's just some, you know, a bunch of when Denzel Mims wasn't playing, it was just a bunch of nobodies out there, you know, and Jameson Crowder in the slot. Nobody wanted to do that. But I kind of think the Jets make an interesting total clearance aisle stack. You know, when you go shopping in the $5 movie bin, Scott, you're not expecting to find, you know, the next Oscar movie. You know, you're not expected to find the next blockbuster hit or whatever. But you might just find, you know, a, a really cringeworthy, laugh at bad movie horror fest for your next uh, Friday night beer night or whatever with your buddies or, or whatever. You might just get that. I feel like the Jets totally, you know, basically free in drafts at this point, other than Michael Carter, who's the rookie running back who's kind of going high. All the pass catchers are extremely underranked in ADP, and I'm kind of excited to draft them. I really like the receivers, but where uh, just. Talk me off that ledge because it might be crazy. Well, first of all, I love the movie, the $5 movie analogy, because I can remember the last $5 DVD I bought. I was in a convenience store and I saw for $4.99, so I was saving the penny, <laughs> Young Blood, which is a, a Rob Lowe hockey movie nice. from the 1980s. Uh, Patrick Swayze is in that movie. Keanu Reeves has a very small part. Ed, the great character actor, Ed Lauder, is the hockey coach. Uh, basically, Rob Lowe is is the pretty boy uh, scoring machine. doesn't doesn't want to get physical. doesn't want to get in fights. He you know, needs other people to protect him on the ice. And it's it's a good bad movie. It's you know much like a lot of Swayze movies, right? I mean, yeah, you, know, you could say Point Break is a good bad movie, or Dirty Dancing is a good bad movie, or you know, man, Roadhouse is probably like the king of the good bad movies. So, uh, if you're in the mood for uh, for an '80s, you know, little '80s um, hockey. And I know who doesn't love 1980s hockey. Uh, go with Young Blood. I picked that up, intending to give it to my little brother, and I think I might have actually kept it. So I, I, I'm holding on to my brother here. But the thing with the Jets that that kind of threw me for a loop is I, I thought Crowder. I've always been a Crowder fan. I mean, he's a good player. He's not you know he's not changing the NFL or you know, going to Pro Bowls or anything. But he's a nice, solid player. When I saw their receiver group, and I, look, I know he's he plays a certain role, and there's other guys who who have different roles in the offense, so they really don't contrast with Crowder, but. I thought maybe he might have been a, a casualty or maybe he might have been a trade guy or something like that. When they decided to bring him back, it's almost like, oh, my God, the, the Jets have too much talent at receiver. I you know, know, they, they yeah. pay Corey Davis the, the big money, and you know, he finally – the light started to go on for him last year. It, it's easy to forget. Well, he's a top five pick in his class, right? I mean, he was expected to be an alpha, and he never really was at Tennessee, although he morphed into a pretty nice player for them last year. Davis is a good player. People were excited about Mims a minute ago. I feel like Elijah Moore has become a really trendy sleeper. And, you know, we've seen the Ole Miss receivers pop recently. You know, Metcalf obviously popped. Non-first round picks, right? A.J. Brown, who, who the Patriots apparently didn't want to draft. They, they wanted, rather than have A.J. Brown or D.K. Metcalf, they thought Nikhil Harry was the way to go. This is my Nikhil Harry reference that's mandatory every time I'm on this program. I was going to say, I feel like every time I'm on the podcast with you, you get that dig in at the Patriots. Not Honestly, I, actually, it's not even just the podcast. It's like sometimes we're in you know the Monday meetings together, and I think you managed to uh, <laughs> you managed to get that burn in on the Patriots and Nikhil Harry, which I get it. If I, if I was you, I'd probably feel the same way. Well, it's just... I just see guys like Brown and Metcalf and Terry McLaurin blowing up the league, and none of them were first-round picks. And you know, much like I think we're going to – the trivia question is going to be who was the first receiver drafted in the 2020 class? I think people are going to forget it was Henry Ruggs because he just got lapped. <laughs> no, who knows? He's on the Raiders. Maybe Henry Ruggs you know, will, will be a different player in time as he gets more experience or as John Gruden gets fired or he goes to a different team. I don't know. Yeah, it's still hard for me to believe that Jalen Rager was drafted before Justin oh Jefferson. My God. Not that I saw the Jefferson, you know, 1400 yard season coming, but 
I think a lot of people, the moment that happened, were like, what's going on here? But drafting's hard. I mean, you know, Belichick may be the best coach in sports history, and he's got a bunch of whiffs on his resume. I, I don't know why the Steelers seem to draft receivers so well, but a lot of teams don't. Maybe the Steelers have been lucky. I, it, it's hard for me to say. But I look at this Jets depth chart. It, you know, it's, it's a case where I actually like them more as an NFL offense than I do as a fantasy offense because I'm not sure where the ball's going. And I'm not sure whose targets in this offense I can safely project. I'm with you. I think Crowder coming back kind of muddled the equation. It doesn't damper my excitement about Elijah Moore, but table that for one second because I agree with you right now. I think Moore could be this player in time, but right now I don't think the Jets have a true number one receiver, but they legit go five deep, you know, when it because. Keelan Cole has been getting a ton of buzz out of camp. Like Keelan Cole's a pretty good player. We just talked about DJ Chark a minute ago and like LaVisca Chenault. There were so many times that like DFS heads were trying to ram in DJ Chark. They were trying to get the sleeper play on LaVisca Chenault and it'd be Keelan Cole who popped up for, you know, seven catches, 90 yards and a touchdown or something like that. He had a really good rookie year. Like the guy is not a stud or anything, but he's a quality NFL receiver and he might be their fourth best player depending on what happens with Denzel Mims. Like, I that that is what kind of makes me think that I I wonder if all five of these guys are on the team come week one just because they are so deep, you know, and like who's going to play special teams, that type of thing, because when you're you have to do that, like I don't think Jamison Crowder is going to play special teams. Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, those guys are probably too valuable to do it. I don't know. Maybe Denzel Mims becomes that guy. Maybe Keelan Cole is that guy, but they all probably are not getting a game day jersey, which makes me wonder, like they did just straight up slash Jamison Crowder's salary i wonder if he still could get moved before week one like you know a team like green bay or some team suffers an injury at wide receiver and they're like listen our guys in camp are just not cutting it let's go throw the jets a seventh round pick for a cheaper jamison crowder at this point that still might happen maybe they trade a guy like denzel mims or something like that i i don't know that just gives me one little pause there because they are i agree with you like you can't really sit here and project one of these guys for like eight, nine targets weekly. I think the ball is going to get distributed to all of these players, but I really like the group. I really like the group as a whole and especially Elijah Moore, who I'm so just so high on Elijah Moore as a player. I think he can barely be, you know, a Tyler Lockett type of player, you know, somebody that moves inside outside. And especially like if Jameson Crowder is going to stay there and be a key player in 11 personnel, you know, the slot guy on the inside, they're probably going to play Elijah Moore at flanker a little bit because if this offense is truly Shanahan-ish, they're going to be in, you know, two tight end sets a decent amount, two back sets a, a decent amount. And that would mostly, I think, leave Davis and Moore as the outside receiver. So my excitement about Moore isn't really tampered, especially just because, like I said, I love this guy. Was such a stud last year. You know, we didn't even know if the season was going to happen with the whole COVID thing. But then he comes out there and is just the legit engine of Ole Miss offense. He's got Lane Kiffin throw. Scott, have you seen the, the video where Lane Kiffin, like, throws up the clipboard? When Elijah Moore has the deep pat, like deep catcher, if, if you haven't seen it, it's awesome. I'd encourage everybody to look it up there. Like Moore is so wide open down the field as the ball's coming to him. Lane Kiffin launches the clipboard up in the, this is great audio right here. Like launches the clipboard way up in the air. It's a great clip. Anyways, I'm excited about Moore. I still want to draft him in the late rounds, but I agree with you. It could be kind of more of the, the, the whole is better than the sum of the parts or whatever that expression is. I guess I guess I'm all for clipboard hurling. So I got to check out that clip. I haven't seen it yet. What I guess is implied through all this as you talk up these receivers is that you think Zach Wilson is going to be good right away? Oh, that's actually I don't know. <laughs> that's kind of my other hesitation is that more uh, excuse me, Wilson is. He, there's some questions to him. I, I actually just believe in the infrastructure of the offense. You know, this this. You know, Mike LaFleur is not a, a name, right? He's a name because of his last name, and he's a name because of the, the offense that he comes from. But, I mean, how many of these Shanahan offshoots have we seen across the NFL just boost the efficiency of their quarterbacks, even if they're not that good? But I actually think that the best thing about Zach Wilson's game and we averaged over 11 yards per attempt last year at BYU, can sling the ball down the field and really work on those off-script plays. I think the fact that he's in this offense, like this style, the Shanahan style of offense, which just gives their quarterback so many answers and so many layups, I think that could actually be, even if he's a little slow to develop, I think that might not hurt the overall health of the offense just because of of the structure of that system. How are you playing the backfield? Are you are you buying the Michael Carter buzz? Uh, you think Tevin Coleman makes sense finally? We're going to see something out of him. Ty Johnson last round. I mean, anything, anything there for you? 
I'm going to totally cop out on this one. And I copped out in the article as well that like I just need more information on the whole Michael Carter thing. You know, uh, he's got an ADP right now just ahead of the 90th overall pick, I think, which is kind of aggressive for a day three rookie. I mean, how many times have we seen people get really excited about day three rookies? You know, Kenneth Dixon always comes to mind. David Cobb with the Tennessee Titans, you know, years ago, these just rando fourth round running backs that people are really high on for whatever reason. And then they do nothing, you know, like they're just not as good as people think they are. They can't even overtake a middling veteran. I mean, how many like Kenneth Dixon couldn't even leapfrog uh, Terrence West with the Ravens several times. I'm saying all these because I can remember like getting in heated arguments when I first started out like covering fantasy at NFL Network with some of the guys there. I'm obviously only remember them because I was right in being on the negative side of this. So I do always like have uh, skepticism when it comes to some of these like day three rookie running backs that are not just like they don't have a direct they have a path to playing time. But like sometimes I think we get we put the horse ahead of the cart or put the cart before the horse when it comes to some of these day three backs. So cop out answer. If he seems like he's the guy come August or come, you know, week one, I'll draft him. But I don't know. Right now, I just don't have enough information. No, I'll give you one more Jets take. Uh, I have finally and I've I've lost money in this one. I'm in the red. My, my PayPal account is bankrupt on Chris Herndon. I'm just done. I'm, I've given up on Herndon. And if he pops, if he becomes this is the year the light goes on for him, I will not be the one profiting. I am right with you there. I have never really been on the Chris Herndon train, but I, I think like I saw something recently. It's very that, sad um, train, Matt. It's, it's, you know, it's not a happy train. It's been derailed a few times. Very, very sad train. The tracks need some work. We need to do an infrastructure plan for that whole situation with the Chris Herndon train. I agree with you. I'm not on that. And I did. I'm, I'm so far. So far, I don't regret the decision. I don't even know if he's going to start. Like I saw some headline the other day that Tyler Croft might be the tight end one for the Jets, which, by the way, does lead me back to like being excited about the receiver. Similarly with how we feel about the Jaguars, like, you know, these Jets guys could get a boost because there's really no pass catching threat at tight end. But yeah, I don't know. I'm excited about this team. But now after talking to you, I feel like I'm less excited about them as a fantasy offense, but definitely still excited about them as a real life offense to watch. And, you know, maybe be in on in 2022 as opposed to 2021. Well, let me just ask you one random question. And this is, you know, a little speed round. Taking Trevor Lawrence off the table. If you were going into uh, a dynasty league and, or maybe a dynasty super flex league, just to say you needed a quarterback in dynasty and you're looking at this rookie pool and you couldn't get Lawrence, but you could have anybody else. What quarterback long-term from this class are you most excited about? It's Trey Lance for sure. I think this 49ers offense looks awesome on paper. Oh, you know, we just we just did the team preview for them. I don't know if you were in that one. I think it was me, Liz, and Dalton. But yeah, it's you know, one of the, the first question was like, which of these guys do you want most at ADP when it comes to George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, and Debo Samuel? And all the, it's like my first sentence was, I don't want to say negative anything negative about any of these guys. <laughs> I think these guys are really good, and you know, not only is the talent great there with those pass catchers. I think Trey Lance just fits perfectly from a fantasy quarterback perspective, the way that he's going to run, the way that he apparently is so, you know, it's been so long since we've kind of seen him play a full schedule of football. So that is a bit of an unknown, but everybody speaks highly about his acumen and everything like that. And he's getting just dropped into the perfect offense for production, right? Like this, this Shanahan ecosystem has boosted up plenty of guys that are not as talented as Trey Lance. I just really, really, really want to be, bullish on the 49ers range of outcomes and this year it is hard because he's a rookie quarterback he's probably going to run they're probably still going to be bottom 10 in pass attempts when you know when it comes to like splitting up the targets between Kittle and Ayuk and um, Debo Samuel and there's like a few weird sections of Twitter that just want to debate that at all times of all at at every day and want to tag me and and I'm not going to be interested in debating those things um, because who cares but like in 2022, 2023, 2024, like you said, Superflex Dynasty type of situation. I really want to be ahead of the market and like want to be in on the 49ers offense as a whole. So that that's my pick. What about you? Let me ask you this. Do you think Lance has a chance to start the majority of games this year? I, he comes into the league a little bit younger. I mean, I mean, Joe Burrow's older than Sam Donald for crying out loud, but Lance is still just 20. I think he just turned 21. So are you I, for this year, if, if somebody's thinking it's only a redraft league, do you think Lance will make the majority of starts in San Francisco? I think he makes the majority, no question. I think there's a chance that he's out there week one. Like, really? Okay. 
I, I'm not a great chance, but I think it's possible. You know, I think it's possible that he could be he could just be better than Jimmy Garoppolo in training camp. It seems also that the prevailing wisdom and I, I know Mahomes sat that whole first year, except for the Denver game behind Alex Smith, who was people need to remember he's, Alex Smith is going to be remembered for the comeback. And people, I think, are going to forget that he was actually a pretty good player for a long so period good. of time. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the, 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 Pro Bowl Andy the, year? Dalton, the Andy Dalton, Alex Smith comparisons are so offensive because, you know, like <laughs> they were coming off a playoff run with Alex Smith. They were coming off like a season where Alex Smith was one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the NFL from any efficiency metric perspective. Andy Dalton's like barely hanging on with the Cowboys last year. So um, and yeah, obviously Jimmy Garoppolo, not in that uh, not in that ballpark either. But yeah, it's, it's such a bad comparison. I think Smith was quarterback for the year uh, Mahomes was the caddy. I, I don't have that off the top of my head, but I mean, he had a really good season and I think history forgets how good he was. But Mahomes aside, I think the prevailing wisdom has become if you got a quarterback on that first contract, get him in there. Now, you know, the Chargers, you know, it's, it's just so strange how things went last year where somebody gets the wrong shot to, to the ribs and all of a sudden Justin Herbert has to play when they didn't want to play him. And then, you know, they fell into that. Of course, everybody still got fired anyway. But I think most teams are probably like, okay, let's let's get the guy in here. The best way to learn is in actual games. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll teach him at practice, we'll teach him in preseason, we'll teach him at mini camps and all that stuff. But the real seeing what you have and getting a player to to produce will, will come in the games. I I'm going to go with you on Lance, although I'm actually a big believer in Zach Wilson too. I, I don't. We'll, we'll see if the Jets actually hired the right coaches. I think. It's just exciting. It was just so sad to watch. I don't know if Sam Darnold's ever going to be good, but I don't know who could have succeeded with the hand that he was given with Adam Gase, with Mono, with all the things that went wrong for the Jets. And at least I feel like Zach Wilson has been plunked into a situation where he can succeed. He's set up to to be successful, where I feel like Darnold was almost set up to fail. So uh, Wilson would be really close to Lance for me, but I, I agree. I, and look, it's just Shanahan and all those toys. I mean, it's unfair that a team that already had a Debo Samuel gets to play with a Brandon Ayuk and, you know, it gets to have a George Kittle. They have so much talent at running back. I don't know what they're going to do with it, but they have a lot of talent there as well. Um, I, I can't wait again, NFC West, man, that that's where the action's at. I cannot wait to watch all four of those teams, butt heads. I think it's going to be, you know, Matt Stafford finally freed from his Detroit time. And I, I think this could be, um, maybe a Super Bowl for him. I, I'm thrilled to see what they'll do. Obviously, McVay is about as fun as anybody, but I, I can't wait to see this division. I think you made the right pick with Lance. It's tough not to get excited about this NFC West. Uh, I'm I'm gassed up for the games to start after talking to Scott today, which is, hey, Scott, a hell of a pod for, uh, you know, end of June, almost July, not a damn thing happening. It's always good to talk ball with you, man. I hope you enjoy the July 4th weekend. I hope you uh, enjoy the golf trip. Take it easy, man. Appreciate you. Anything you're working on uh, now that you want to plug? I'm still doing some fancy baseball work. We'll, of course, be pivoting pretty full-time to football close to when I come back. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'll still take your fancy baseball questions and, and try to help you there. It's uh, it's a grind, but, you know, you might as well grind it. You know, if there's money to be won, you might as well go to you. So still doing some of that. And, of course, you know, fancy football, as you, you guys all know, it's, all, it's open. You can draft today. You can best ball draft. You can seasonal draft. So uh, you can draft with your friends, draft with people you don't know on the internet, whatever whatever does it for you. Yahoo Sports is ready for you. We are ready for you, and we are ready for an awesome July 4th weekend. Hope you all out there enjoy it. In the meantime, while you're driving, you know, to meet up with friends, relatives, whatever, you're waiting to hop on the airplane, you can pop the earbuds in and listen to the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Dammel, and our friend Pat Forty from SI. Of course, you should also be listening to Post It Up with Chris Haynes for more in-depth conversations around the NBA world. That is at Scott underscore Pianowski. I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. There's more podcasts next week, so get excited about that. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. We are out.